0: Welcome to Born and Read, a podcast about Manchester United. On this episode, we will review the shambles at the weekend at Old Trafford.
1: We'll talk about what the hell we do in regards to that number 10 position.
0: Yeah, is officiating and VAR ruining the game as we know it? The gayer. What's
1: happened? Is he done?
0: And what is the best we can hope for under Ole? Welcome to episode five of Born and Red, a podcast about Manchester United. Ryan, can I uh, can I paint you a picture? Paint me a picture, Mike. So, uh, as I mentioned last week, I took my wife to London as I do every year for our anniversary. We're having a fantastic weekend. The weather, as you know, has been absolutely incredible. Went to a show to a beautiful restaurant. And then Saturday comes around. I was like, right, do you mind if I obviously, you know, going to watch the United game? She was like, no, 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 you, you go watch United, you know. I know you watch them wherever you can, whenever you can, as do most United fans. Uh, so I'm Cracking uh, my Indeed, indeed, yes, yes. Uh, so I found a pub, unbelievably, that was shown at 3 p.m., uh, a place called is an Irish bar in Camden Town. Uh, not Camden, sorry. Uh, Covent Garden. Uh, sat down, got a couple of pints in, and just witnessed an absolute shit show uh, of a game. Um, what, what did we predict last week? I think I said three nil, but I was hoping for five. I think you went for was it four nil?
1: Yeah, I was. Uh, I was hoping it was four nil. FC. Um,
0: it was. It was. A horror show, and I'm going to dive straight straight in there and and say I am uh, not looking forward to the rest of the season after what we said about positivity. Um, I've got I've got so many points to raise. One note, a one note manager in Ollie, um, a, a a threadbare squad, uh, players who just, you know just aren't good enough for the first team. We aren't creating enough. The defence looked um, shaky at best. De Gea was his last season's crappy self. Where do we start? Where do you want to go? So, it has taken me two
1: full days to calm down and actually record this podcast. I think if you'd have got me on Saturday evening or yesterday, I'd have been effing and blinding. Um, but as it, as it stands, I'm just, I'm, I'm really kind of just disappointed. <laughs> and,. Uh resigning myself to the fact that it's going to be I think just a continuation of the end of last season we'll have um, some games where we look okay we'll, we'll we'll beat some decent teams like we have with Chelsea and then we're going to have those games against the teams that we really should beat where we just look like we have no clue how to unlock them how to unpick the defence um, I think w- one of the key things for me is is that like all pre-season and, and the games that we've seen has all been about the the high press you know pushing pushing teams back, winning the ball, high of the pitch, and that's all very well and good, but it doesn't help you when a team comes and plays with 10 men behind the ball, barely moves outside of their half, and you've got to sit looking against two banks of four, or a four and a five, and pick your way through it, because we had absolutely no idea how it would go. About Th- this is, this
0: is my big, big concern, and and you've just hit the, the nail on the head about how we're going to struggle. As you say, when a team like Chelsea comes to Old Trafford and and their circumstance under a new manager under Frank Lampard they wanted to attack and that was perfect we just picked them off Um, defensively they were pretty poor and it allowed us opportunities to use our pace which is quite frankly all we have Um, I'm going to bring him up now, because if I don't, I'm just going to feel my blood pressure rising as, as I know we near the time to mention his name. Um, <laughs> but but Jesse Lingard, someone just explain to me what he does. Like just saying that he runs around and he works hard and he's good at the press. I'm sorry, he just doesn't cut it. He's a number 10. We went through the stats last week. Um, yeah, why is he there? Why? Why is he on the pitch? I don't know. I think following on from
1: what I said earlier about the fact that if we're doing the high press and, and you've got you've got a team coming against us having a bit of possession and winning the ball out of the pitch, fine. Um but when we're trying to unpick a team, he's he's got nothing. Absolutely nothing to add to the team. I was really hopeful at the fact that Angel Gomez didn't play for the under twenty threes that he was going to be involved in the match day squad, but he was he was nowhere to be seen. Um
0: so, uh, uh, yeah, and that's it. And and at least Ollie reacted in terms of bringing subs on earlier. But uh, you know they were they were the wrong subs, weren't they? Obviously, the, his hand was
1: forced with Luke Shaw being injured and Ashley Young coming on. Um, yeah, Greenwood. I I want to see a lot of Greenwood this season, but I don't think he's a right winger. Um, and bringing on another just sort of you know attacker finisher in a game where you're clearly missing those people to unlock the opportunities from deeper. Um, I think it was a bit of a a naive move.
0: Yeah. Again, you've, you've picked the point perfectly. Um, Like it's all very well bringing on someone who is obviously a, a a superb talent who can finish brilliantly. But the fact is we just weren't creating the chances. Um, So, It was it was that number ten role. I think I brought it up with Ericsson last week uh, in terms of he would have been perfect in these kinds of games. Have we even got a player close to that? Is I mean, are we seriously looking at Gomez as our only hope for that number ten role in the current squad? Because if we are, that is a damning indictment of our recruitment policy over the summer.
1: Yeah, I think I think we touched on it, and we're we're happy with the players that they brought in, but they just haven't done enough in terms of overhauling the squad. There's there's some big big gaps. Um, we we let Herrera go, and we haven't put in another midfielder, regardless of the fact that it looks like Pogba's probably staying. We we needed to strengthen that midfield without a doubt. Juan Mata, he, he's not the answer. He's um, although he we should have brought him on earlier at the weekend because he he does have a little bit more invention, but he, he, yeah. he he's not he's not the answer, and looking past that uh, andreas pereira i don't know i'd i'd rather see angel Gomez given an an opportunity to show what he can do see if he's got what it takes
0: yeah absolutely um and and i i do still go back to my point about the fact that although pogba is actually in my opinion playing pretty pretty damn well in that deeper role I still think at least if we had brought in another midfielder, regardless of, of the role of that midfielder, if they'd been sitting deeper, it would have allowed Pogba because Pogba can play the 10 role brilliantly. He he does have that eye for a pass. And quite frankly, he's the only one on the pitch who looks like creating anything. Um oh, it, it it's a massive concern. The left back, um, so oh god, let's go through the team. we'll come to De Gea later. Left back, right? Luke Shaw. Uh for whatever reason, whether it's the fact that he broke his leg and he's not fully recovered, the guy just, it's not happening. It's just not happening at all. Um, Ashley Young came on and looked better than Luke Shaw did, which, you know, has he had enough time now? Why didn't we bring in someone to challenge for his place? Are we really going to rely on that combination of Luke Shaw and Ashley Young to get us through the season when we're hoping for a top four spot?
1: It's not good enough and I think you text me either during the match or just after it why, why weren't we looking at Sessegnon and Tierney who we both went for under 30 million both promising left backs that could even if they they ultimately don't end up being any better than Luke Shaw an alternative something to push challenge for that place.
0: Yeah, absolutely. He, he was Shaw was poor um, and even the fact that he got injured now I know you can say it's an injury it's not his fault per se but he just can't get a good run together. Um, I mean, obviously, was it was it last season? Am I right in saying he was player of the season or something, or players player of the season?
1: Yeah, but I think that that said more about the rest of the yeah. squad than it did about him. Yeah, it was
0: almost like his single goal, average. wasn't it? Well, he was solidly
1: average for most of the season. Um, that's all I can say. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Totally agree. Um, and then obviously we've got we've only got Ashley Young to bring on now. Regardless of your opinion of Ashley Young he's to be fair to him he's you know he has put in a shift in his time here um but just the very fact that he is the only alternative there does not bode well if Shaw is out for any length of time and the only hopeful thing you can say is that at least if Shaw was in the team every week he might improve he might get better he we might see some more consistency from him we're not going to see that now he's injured um and on the opposite flank uh, you know wambsuckit really solid defensively. Uh his positioning I felt let us down for the goal because neither he nor Maguire nor indeed Shaw covered Lindelof for that first goal. Um but he he is at least solid defensively. But I'm talking about attacking here. Um yeah, he, he, he leaves a lot to be decided coming forward, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. He's got he's got a lot to learn. It doesn't help that he's he had he's had uh, Dan James in front of him. He was also learning how to play in um, yeah. The, the the United setup, uh, but but yeah, there's no sort of cohesion there. It, it's very disjointed. Um, it's it's better than Antonio Valencia running up, running back <laughs> inside like he did every single time he got the ball. But it's, it's it's not good enough when you when you compare it to the you know the the, the fullbacks that City and Liverpool have got, who just they're a wingers basically coming forward yeah. and they, they add that extra width, creativity, and the, the you know the. They're all decent on the ball as well. Yeah. Um, it's. I mean, I, I. I don't want to criticize Wan too much because I, I thought he was pretty solid defensively again. But um, yeah, he does need to improve coming forwards. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and then picking up on that first goal. So Lindelof, we know was terrible in the air. I didn't realize he was realize he was that bad. It, it was. It was a bit of a shocker that attempted header. Like any, any half decent central defender is going to win that ball. Take out the attacker, um, but not only did that not happen. Uh, as I say, there was no cover. Maguire didn't lead that, the danger.
1: That was so disappointing for me. Was Maguire's sort of reaction to that?
0: Yeah. He he. It, it was
1: it was clear that you know it was, it was going to be a fifty fifty challenge. Lindelof might win it. He might not. And there was a runner running deep that was that wasn't being picked up by mm-hmm. by either of our midfielders. Which you know besides a point, Maguire sort of he sort of dropped back with the play playing. The runner on side, yeah, but, but without making any sort of run towards him to, to cut him out, cut him off. Um, you yeah. just need to jog, jog back alongside him, and, and the guy just slotted it past the gate with ease. Um, I was more disappointed with Maguire's inability to cover Lindelof than Lindelof missing the header himself. I think it was, uh, it was, it was really poor.
0: Yeah, it's, it's almost like with Lindelof, like I say, I, I knew he wasn't going to win that header Um, and it almost unfolded in slow motion. I was like, it was just, it was, it was so utterly predictable and it was, it was so predictable despite the fact that we've brought in Maguire. It felt like a goal we'd conceded last season with Jones or Small in there. Um, I agree. And again, like this seems very reactive. This is going to be a very reactive podcast from me. Uh, with some very reactive uh, opinions. But is the back five actually the best back five? Because now I'm thinking, well, hold on a second. Lindelof is really in the air and if Maguire can't read that kind of thing, am I being too reactionary by saying, do we start looking at Smalling or Jones or Christ, even even Rocco coming back in at some point?
1: I think so. I think, um, I think Lindelof and Maguire have got to be allowed time to gel and create that information. And... The first game, Maguire, I thought, brilliant. He's actually better than I thought he was. But now I'm seeing his shortcomings as well. Um, Yes. In all honesty, yeah, I I, I do think that that is our best back five. And and those two in particular at centre-back need to be given time to to gel. Uh, On on the left-back point, I watched um, some of the under-23 game uh, on Friday night. And Brandon Williams was playing at left-back young local lad actually you know he, he looked pretty decent he's um, I've not seen him anywhere around the, the first team but uh, if, if Short does have some sort of lengthy injury and it sounds like Darlow's got a bit of an injury as well maybe we'll see a little bit of him I don't know
0: Yeah that'll be good um, but then you you run the risk conversely of, of having too many youngsters and, and maybe upsetting I don't know maybe upsetting the old guard to a point Um I, it's just the prob- The biggest problem with Saturday is that every issue we had on the pitch, me and you picked up on in pre-season in terms of the transfers and bringing players in, left back, uh, centre mid or a creative mid and potentially an attacker. I don't understand how every United fan who knows anything about the way we play or anything about the game could clearly see the squad's shortcomings and yet... Ollie or his, his his sort of back team, or indeed the board, don't. Now, is it that they don't see the squad's shortcomings, which I would find hard to believe because he's, you know, at least Ollie and his staff, they're, they're footballing guys. They know the goddamn game better than, you know, a couple of schmucks on a podcast. Or is it just that actually it is a case of not spending too much or not going too mad on signings. I, I'd, I'd really just love to know where we're going wrong as a club when even the likes of Liverpool who don't have, you know, they haven't had a lot to spend in terms of like comparison to City. You know, they've been very shrewd in the transfer market. How can Liverpool get it so right and how do we get it so wrong?
1: To be fair, Liverpool's evolution has come over a number of transfer windows. But always had one. My, my concern more is the Multiple transfer windows that Woodward has had since taking over from Gill, and I do think that he's a big issue. Um, the sort of profile of the players that we were bringing in this summer, I agree with. And there was one point where Ollie said, "Oh yeah, there was there was other players that we looked at, but we got the wrong answers from them." And I think that was more not not the fact that oh yeah, we uh, we don't want to come to United. I think it was more a case of you know they they were it was more a case of well, oh, all right, yeah, well how much are you going to pay me to play United? Whereas. The, the first and foremost thing when you're signing for United should be, yes, I want to play for Manchester United, and then the rest of it, you know, just sort it out with my agent, I don't care. Um, so I'm hoping that that when he says we didn't get the right answers, it was more along that line, and then I can sort of understand taking that stance, uh, but it, it doesn't depend on the fact that we have an opportunity to strengthen so many areas of our squad, and if those players didn't give the right answer, surely there was other players out there that would have done
0: yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it sounds to me like, and correct me if I'm wrong, you still sound <sighs> optimistic about Ollie's tenure and a case of give him time. He, you're absolutely right. He has only had one transfer window. He's barely been in the job six months. Give him time and he will. he will find the right combination. So let me pose this question to you. Let's say he knows what he's doing with transfers, let's say. He knows the kind of player he wants to bring in and he knows the squads and the team's weakness. Do you think he has the tactical mouse to challenge for not only the top two, but the top four? Do you do you think he has that level of managerial ability? Because I'll be honest, I am starting to question it a little bit myself.
1: Yeah, don't, don't get me wrong. Um, I, I love Ollie and he'll forever be a legend in my eyes, but he is, he's not showing me anything that, you know, says to me, he is the answer. He's going to make a big change. Having said that, we've had four managers since Fergie, two of which, well, five if you include um two of which seasoned veterans that had won multiple titles. They There were still issues there. So I, I, I'm very much at the point the mindset at the moment that the issues run deeper than the manager and you've got to give him a bit of time to try and sort that out but having said that one of the things that was most disappointing to me was okay clearly we've worked out a lot on this high press pre-season but it seemed like we had no sort of new ideas or um, invention to, to get through a team that comes with two deep line um, banks in front of the goalie um, we there's just no kind of like set play. Not, I don't mean set plays as in like in different corners and free kicks and things like that, although they were pretty dire um, as well at the weekend. But I'm talking about like, you know, third-man runners getting into the box. The, the one time we did it, we got a penalty. You know, it, it just seems like it was very few and far between and there was no real ideas about how they should play together to unlock that defence. And and that's that's the most disappointing thing from from my eyes. Ollie's supposed to be... Um, an intelligent player who, when he was sat on the bench, was looking at where the gaps were in, in, in you know, in the opposition's defence. And he, when he came on, that's you know, that's the reason why he got so many goals when he did come on, because he was he was reading the game straight straight in there and, and finding the gaps. But uh, I, I, you know, if you could see it as a player, why can not he see it and install that, you know, as a manager in, in, in his team?
0: And which which leads me to the point: is it is it a playing staff issue purely? You know he will get it right once we once he's allowed to bring in the right kind of play with the right kind of attitude, or is that more of a coaching issue in that you know a, a better manager with more experience will be able to instill uh, more positive attacking ideas um you know can can has has ollie got that in in his in his repertoire to bring that in as a manager do you think or or is it is it a playing staff issue? Because there's, there's definitely a playing staff issue there,
1: whether whether Ollie's got that in his repertoire or not. Every the time they tell.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, so, in 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 the attacking sense, uh, Martial, uh, Rashford, uh, thought.
1: Um, I thought Martial was pretty isolated. It's hard to criticise a guy when he's not really getting any service, but he he didn't look like he was tearing around, making runs in behind or anything like that. In contrast to Rashford, he did look like he was trying to make those runs but nobody was picking him out. I thought, I thought Rashford was desperately lucky with his penalty. You don't often see a penalty hit one post and go out for a goal kick on the opposite side. So that just tells you how close that was. Um, but... <sighs> In general, I thought his play was sloppy. There was a there was an opportunity in the first half where he got in behind, and basically just he just fell over the ball. Um, and I thought that kind of uh, indecision and um, stammering around the ball had, had kind of gone out of his game. But they, they look there, look back there at the weekend, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, and um, I, I, bringing in obviously the other attacker. Um... Daniel James is a bit of a funny one. So his goal was obviously supremely high quality. I want to jump in there and say that the booking he received for apparently, uh, let's not call it diving, like if you get a booking, that's for simulation, was beyond absurd um yeah. and this it's the second game in a row that has happened to him as well. And I, I'm I'm really
1: worried that he's gonna get a reputation for it, which is completely
0: unwarranted. Yeah, this this presumption of guilt from referees already <clears throat> that he seems to have. Um I I I I I just lose a bit of goddamn faith in the game sometimes. I yeah, like it, just it just wasn't it. Like on the first viewing, it wasn't a booking. He was clear. He was he was not just clipped, but he was like tagged um, by by the knee. I think it was of the defender, and yet the referee. I, I just feel like they made decisions sometimes purely based on 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 reputation. Yeah, I mean, fair, fair play
1: to the lad, though. He it didn't stop him running at the defenders, and um, you know. Try, trying to create those opportunities, but yeah, it's it's, it's a disgrace really, and I I, I don't know if the cards can be rescinded for that kind of thing, but it, it, if they can, we should certainly be um, appealing, appealing if, if not just just the one against um, Wolves, definitely that one at the weekend. It was it was it was a joke.
0: Yeah, and and these things again just are not highlighted by the mainstream media like much of the day. Um, and the BBC, and you know, they'll say something like, "Oh, uh, you know, in like a match report, oh, um, James received a, a booking which was harsh," and that's all they'll say. What you know, why doesn't it say James received a booking that was completely unwarranted? It was a it was a piss poor de- decision by the referee, um, and, th- and this is how they develop a reputation, is because nobody says, "Well, hold on a second, he's running at speed; he was definitely." Uh, there was definitely contact there, um, but and yet the referee, for for no goddamn apparent reason, uh, gave gave him a yellow card. It's yeah. It, I mean,
1: a, 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 a lightning fast player getting clipped doesn't always mean it's a free kick. But if it's not a free kick, that doesn't mean it's a dive.
0: No, no, no. And there's been plenty of decisions. I've seen decisions in the past where, for example, a player goes down in the penalty area and it's not penalty but that player hasn't got a booking either. It doesn't always have to be either or. And this, this kind of in, uh, insistence of making things black and white, it is, it, it is absolutely ruining the game. And it's the same with VAR, this kind of attempt to make things black or white. It, it's just it's the, Football is a game that thrives on its flow. It thrives on its uh, rhythm. And the more you disrupt that rhythm, the worst the game is like the, the nobody remembers a game that stop start and just free kicks all the time and fa you know whatever uh, the, the best games are always the ones that for example like the first the, the first one that came to my mind was um, when we played Real Madrid Old Trafford uh, was it four three um, where Ronaldo got clapped off for a hat trick was it four yeah, three yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, just uh, just. Uh, phenomenal game and I think that was a game uh, legend has it that Abramovich saw and was like right I want to buy uh, a Premier League club um, and that, that kind of game it wasn't stop start it was just pure flow attacking football the more you try and nail down these decisions to the nth degree the worse the game is going to get to watch um, not- I agree and I think sorry Mike and I think as poor Crystal
1: Palace's approach and and really boring to watch as it was. One of the things I thought they did really well was cynically stopping the game when we actually, you know, had had some flow and some 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 break potential. So many times they would just bring people down cynically and and uh yeah, the reference giving free kicks, but little else. And uh, it just it did I mean we weren't good enough at all. Don't, don't get it wrong, but but that didn't help.
0: No, no, you, you're right. And 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 actually, you look at the the best teams and the best two teams in the division of City and Liverpool. Um, there, there was there's an article last week, I think, discussing whether City uh, do these uh, cynical fouls, um, and they do, but actually Liverpool do it more, um, and they are that, that 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 is how you approach the game these days. You have to. Uh, you, you have to make those kind of um, those cynical fouls, those disruptive fouls, because it's the easiest way to stop the opposition getting up the pitch and and, and getting into that flow and getting into that rhythm. Um, I'm going to oh, say oh. something
1: controversial here, and I think oh, I think, I, I think that, that 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 kind of foul should be punished um, more harshly than than even just a yellow. I think. Um, Red card may be too harsh, but certainly some sort of sin bin arrangement. I, I, I've been championing that for a long while because there's there's fouls that are reckless and dangerous, and they should be punished straight away with red cards. Like you know, people you know, shouldn't have to be worried about getting hurt when they're playing football. There's fouls that are just mistimed tackles, and you know, they just you know just happen during the course of the game. And I don't think they should ever be more than a yellow card. But then there's those fouls that aren't dangerous. But are cynical as hell. There's, there's well, somewhere between that yellow and that red card. That I think needs, needs more punishment than a yellow.
0: Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily be against it. Um, ultimately, like the why we watch football is is for the excitement and the entertainment. And uh, as, as I've just said, the games where they stop start, um, you, you don't get that because it's like it's like this reset button. Is pressed when there's that foul, and I will bring up City, but not not because they're the worst offenders, of according to the BBC and statistics, but they're very good at it. And when when they when they stop the opposition breaking up the pitch, um, it just it kills it. It kills that rhythm, and it's frustrating as hell if you're the other team. Uh, and and yeah, maybe there is c- c- potentially provision for some kind of sim bin. Uh, approach or, or something, but what I do know is is that VAR. Um, it's obviously we had Ryan on a couple of weeks ago previewing the Wolves game, and, and straight away he was like, "I don't want to sound, you know, not not hyperbole, but it's going to ruin the game." And I was like, "You know what? He's got a really good point because, particularly when you're at the ground and you're at the game, the the, the, the kind of pantomime aspect of VAR where everybody's chanting for VAR or whatever." Um, that's gonna that's gonna get lost very quickly amongst the amongst the sort of more clued up football fans, and eventually it's gonna start turning people off the game. Um, and I do, I think people have been predicting the demise of football for a, a good few years now, probably probably since Sky came in. But like VAR is the biggest change since probably the, the pass back rule. But the pass back rule was 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 brilliant because it stopped that. Uh, negative aspect of the game. VAR does the opposite. It introduces these breaks, and even if they're quick, even if you don't notice them too much, and particularly not when you're watching on TV, it, it is going to disrupt that flow and that rhythm, and people are going to stop watching the game itself. Do you know what frustrates me even more about VAR? There's so many circumstances
1: it should be used and it isn't. There was a couple of times... Um, at the weekend, and I'm going to highlight one that you might be a bit surprised at. Marcus Rashford uh, had the ball, was cutting in from the right. He, he tried to dribble past a couple of players. The ball had got away from him, and then he lunged in ridiculously at a Palace player. And it looked to me like he'd like his studs had gone in halfway up his shin. And I turned to my dad and I said, that, "He's he's off. VAR's going to catch that. He's off." And nothing happened. Play just went on. <laughs> I, I couldn't. I actually couldn't believe it. I don't know if you recall that incident, Mike, but.
0: I I don't I actually don't remember that to be fair I'll have to watch it back uh, I don't remember seeing it. I no, mean... it, yeah, it was, um,
1: yeah, it was it was reckless to say the least, and I think pretty dangerous, and I think he was very lucky that the uh, AR didn't pick up on it because clearly the the ref didn't see it. Um, I don't know, maybe my vantage point was a bit different. I've not been able to bring myself to watch the highlights because I'm so depressed. <laughs> um, but from where I was sitting, standing, looking down, it, it looked to me like he'd gone. Like nowhere near the ball studs up towards the guy's knee. I was I was absolutely flabbergasted that there wasn't even a check of it, and the there was only one actual VAR check that I recall. Not as when Rashford had put in from the left towards the end of the game, and um, we, we, were, we were suggesting there should have been perhaps a second penalty. But uh, yeah, if if it's there, I feel like it, it's not being used to its full extent. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely, and, and and I I do think we should have had at least at least one more penalty uh, for the foul on uh, Martial. Um, yeah, I've forgotten that one as well. Uh,
1: yeah, unbelievable.
0: So I just feel like that we we've been hit so far this season in terms of like we've had some really shocking refereeing. Um, obviously, last week we were discussing John Moss this week with the lack of, of, of penalty decisions. Um, and the problem is, is that you make your own luck to a certain extent, and that's combined with the fact that we just are not creating enough. I, I um, After the Chelsea game, yeah, obviously, you know, a bit of early season optimism. You've just smashed Chelsea 4-0. I was like, right, you know, yeah, we, we should be definitely on for top four, maybe even challenging Spurs for the third spot. Um, I just feel like Saturday has almost been a reset to my attitude towards the end of last season where I'm like, Jesus Christ. Now, I know there's been a gap between last season and this season, but I think we've had three wins since March in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just, just give me something to look forward to.
1: Right? Just give me some optimism, please. I think my, my worry is the the way that we're set up now is is to play against the teams that come out and come at us. And so that leaves us in good stead against probably just Chelsea, Arsenal and maybe Spurs because Liverpool and City are far too good um, for for our current game plan and even if our improved high press does work well. So that gives us three teams that we're set up to play against and then the rest of the teams that are going to come and play a little bit more defensively, a little bit more reserved, we're going to struggle to break them down. We really are. And... I think I'm I'm along the same lines as you that my uh, preseason optimism, which is always there, I'm forever the optimist, has been brought back down to earth with a bang because that performance was was not good, and uh, I left I left with my my head in my hands basically, at, particularly at David De Gea, um, how he'd let that goal in at the end is just, it's just just harks back to those mistakes he was making towards the end of last season, and I was hoping that. That was just a, a temporary blip and I'm really worried there's something more systemic.
0: I, I, am, I am massively um, apprehensive about De Gea and I would be very, very concerned if I was Woodward about giving him a new contract. The guy wants something like, I don't know, whatever, 250, 300, 350 grand a year, he is a goalkeeper for Manchester United. He's paid to make the kind of saves. When we are on Song, when we've got most of the possession, he's, he's paid to make those saves that he might only have to make once or twice a game. And he is not making them. Now, his, um, the, the fallacies in his game, his distribution, i.e. his kicking oh, and throwing. His distribution um, is poor. It
1: is poor. That's what I mean.
0: That, 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 that's overlooked. That used to be overlooked because he was the world's best shot stopper. Uh, he isn't anymore. I, it's shocking the decline. Like eighteen months ago, I would have said beyond doubt he was the best goalkeeper on the planet. Uh, you know, eighteen months plus two years, um, there are probably at least two goalkeepers in the Premier League who are better than him purely because of you know other facets of their game, like command of their area, uh, like their um, their sort of uh, their authority and how vocal they are with their team De Gea has no authority of his box he, he has no command of his area his distribution is poor we pay him what we pay him because he is a great shot stopper he has lost that aspect of his game so why are we even considering a new, a new contract for him Mike, Ben Foster
1: is a great shot stopper do you know what I mean yeah the, the, the Gea, like you say he used to be the best and uh, now I'd say he's 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 in, on a current form. He's no better than Ben Foster. So why would you pay him that much?
0: Correct. Bring goddamn Dean Henderson back from from Sheffield United. Um, hey, he hey. Will...
1: T- Tom Heaton went for next to nothing. You know, <laughs> and I thought I think he's an excellent goalkeeper. But yeah, um, I, I'm really. The only reason I can possibly think for giving him a, a contract is to make sure we get full right for him when we sell him at the end of the season. Uh, I'm, I'm almost at the end of my tether with him.
0: Really it's am. it's ridiculous, mate. And it's 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 at a time when we do not need concern over our goalkeeper. Uh, De Gea at the moment should be the the almost like the the, the continuity aspect, the that the solidity at the back to to help the other four. Um, create that, that brick wall that we need at the back <laughs> in order to give the forwards uh, the best opportunity to score, you know, like the, that, that one or two goals a game that we need. Excuse me. Um, yeah, De Gea is, is a massive, massive issue at the moment. Uh, and and based, on, based on, it might seem, again, reactionary because it was just that goal that he let in at the weekend, but we saw it too much last season. And based on you know the way we played, based on the issues that I think we have in terms of the playing staff and the manager, I genuinely think we'll, we will be extremely lucky to get top four. We're going to struggle to get top six at this rate because there, there are a lot of good teams in the league and we are just not streetwise enough at the moment to, to break most of them down. Like you said, there are maybe three, four teams that play the way that we want them to play the way that we're set up to counter-attack. The rest of them, like, they're just... Like, Crystal Palace, it should have been a shoo-in. It should have been a, a, a game that we, like, undoubtedly should have won. It was a shock result. We've got Southampton away next. Like, again, that should be nailed on. Uh, are you hopeful? Are you positive that we're going to get a result Southampton away?
1: No, I'm, I'm very worried. I've not, seen, I've not seen much of Southampton so far this season. But I've seen enough of us to be very worried.
0: Well, let's say the the, the two games previous to Saturday Palace were we're, we're piss poor. Southampton haven't been great. But as you've just said, it doesn't matter because we just look like... uh, we. I wouldn't even say we're a Jekyll and Hyde because I think Chelsea was was the exception to the rule. And the rule is at the moment. Uh, Unfortunately, I don't think we know what we're doing as a club. Or indeed, uh, as as a as a team, um, it's uh, God. We we shouldn't be this negative three games into the season. But I I just I do not see where there's going to be much positivity. I can only hope over the course of the season that we have a combination of doing well enough to get into the top four, and obviously that time will allow the younger players to to, to get better. Um,
1: yeah, I think I'm I'm very much of the opinion that we should be, where we haven't purchased and strengthened externally, we should be blooding youngsters from, from beneath and giving them every opportunity to show whether they've got it or not. Um, I'm talking Angel Gomez, I'm talking James Garner, I'm talking Mason Greenwood. Um, I, I'm, yeah, I, Dan James is nowhere near the finished article, but I'm all for him playing and playing a lot because he's He's got that kind of youthful exuberance and and sort of never say by attitude, which I don't think is present in all of our players at the moment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You just mentioned James Garner. Um, I was going to say bring Garner in, uh, put him next to McTominay, and put Pogba in the ten role. I, I don't know. We need to try something. I think that I do think I know you. You, you say that Pogba, Pogba can play the, the deeper role, and he has done, and he's actually been really really good in the first two or three games, in my opinion. Um, but I think we need him further up pitch. I think we need him in the 10 role because there is nobody else aside from a hopeful punt at Gomez who can play that role with that creativity. Um, so bring Garner in, play next to McTominay and play Pogba at 10.
1: I've probably got to agree. My, my worry is that Oli's first move will be to push Pogba to 10, move McTominay over and bring in Matic. And then you've got two players in front of the back for the um, devoid of any creativity and you've just got that sideways pass thing going on again and again. I, I do hope that look at Garner. My main concern is it, it doesn't look like Ollie's making the moves to put him towards the first team like he has done with uh, Greenwood and, and, and Gomez to a lesser extent because Garner's been playing every game for the under-23s. He's been looking exceptionally. He scored, is it, four goals in three games? Um he, he, I think he, he's, he's going to be knocking on the door because he's definitely far too good to be playing in the under-23s. So if we're not going to get him in and around the first-team squad, get him out on loan, get him the experience you thinking that he needs before he can make that step up.
0: Yeah, um, I completely agree. And it's, it's a bit do-or-die for Ollie. I feel for him because, as you said before, Ollie is a United legend. He will always be a, a United legend. Um, and I feel that he 's in a bit of a no win situation to the extent that he's not been backed fully in the summer by the board in my opinion i know I know you think maybe slightly differently, but i don't think he was backed fully or at least maybe he didn't have the time to bring in all the plays he wanted and, and do everything he needed with the squad at the same time um he was given a uh, he was given a contract he was given the job on the basis of a honeymoon period? And has he got the experience and the the nous to to get us through the next season or two during this transition phase? When, bear in mind, LVG wasn't able to do it and Mourinho wasn't able to do it. Um, So going back to the point on Garner, 100% with you, bring him in, give the guy some game time. I think the best thing that Ole can do, and this might sound defeatist, but the best thing that Oli can do is give as much playing time to these youngsters as possible. I, I I don't know what the terms of his contracts are. Is it a case of he has to get top four this season? I don't know. Or at the very least, top six. At the very least, European football get to a certain stage in in the cup competitions. Is it that detailed? I don't know. But I fear that Oli just isn't. I, I, I don't think he's a good enough manager to get us to where we ultimately want to be therefore during the period he is manager give some game time to the youngsters he can do no wrong with most united fans if he does that even with his limited tactical uh, tactical um, skills do that and, and at least then we might be left in a better position for a, 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 you know a better manager coming in it sounds yeah. harsh but i just don't think he's i, I just don't think he's good enough you may be right, Mike,
1: but what I think Holly does bring, that none of the managers that we've had before him brings, is the selflessness to be doing it for the benefit of the club. He's not thinking about himself first and foremost. He's thinking about United. He's thinking about the fact that we have got to transition over the next few years and I, we did not get that on Mourinho. Mourinho wanted success now. He wanted to do things his way. Same with LVG. I don't know what the fuck David Moyes was thinking, but Ollie, uh you can tell, he, he loves the club through and through. And that is his, his first priority, is getting United back to how it should be. And whether that means that he is sort of a custodian over these next couple of years, whilst we aren't as good as we should be, but we get back to being, you know, the right kind of profile of players, then that's fine by me. And I think he's done his job. And like you say, if he plays the youngsters, he can't go wrong with many United fans.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And... um any any negativity I have about all well, purely about his ability and not about his attitude. Uh, you 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 are absolutely absolutely bang on there. Um, he clearly loves the club. He wants the club to get back to how it was under Fergie. And I think along with the likes of Phelan and Carrick and, and Kieran McKenna, um they they do understand the approach we need to take given the 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 restraints that the glazers have put on us because ultimately and it's it's almost like the elephant in the room we've not really mentioned the glazers much in the first few episodes and it's easy to say oh we've spent money we've spent this we've spent that over the last few seasons we've spent you know we bought Dean Maria, and we you know we've we've paid a record fee for a British Defender. It doesn't matter the, the 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 harsh reality is we are working or I should say Ollie and his staff are working. Under restrictions, it's that simple. For a club of our size and stature and income and turnover, they are working under restrictions. They are going to do the best job they can. Do I think that job is going to be good enough to get us into the top four this season? I, I honestly, at the moment, I don't. But maybe they are the best hope we've got for at least looking forward over the next few years, and maybe in two, three, four, five seasons, maybe just maybe they'll have put the the the, the stones in place to build up again and get us, back to the, get us back to the top, which is quite frankly where we belong um, historically and, and, and in terms of the size of club we are. I can't agree.
1: I can't agree more. And I think uh, on that note, we'll draw this episode to a close. Thank you everybody for listening, especially the one listener we've got in the United Arab Emirates, one in Portugal. And one in Spain as well, apparently, according to the latest statistics. Um, as ever, you know, thank you very much for listening. If you have enjoyed what you have been hearing, please do leave us a review and uh, rate us on iTunes and try and get us into that new and noteworthy
0: category. Uh, it's goodbye from me. It's right, so goodbye, uh, goodbye from me. Thanks for listening, guys.